Hello, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. Welcome back to XV Planets. I am your host, Flood, and before we get started on this sidetrack into Twin Geeks territory, I just wanted to share with you a very heartfelt, welcoming, and loving Happy New Year to you all, and I hope this year is starting off as good for you as it is for me. Now, I want to share with you that what's going to be going on here in the next uh, month and a half or so, you're going to get a couple more episodes of our Twin Geeks series, and then beyond that, we're going to be kicking into an interview series with uh, three very special guests regarding the Sally House before we actually hit that series. However, before we even hit that... I will be wrapping up the Brown Mountain series here in the next two weeks, and you do not want to miss that. I have a very, very special guest coming on to help me close out the Brown Mountain series for the conclusions and uh, open conversation episode. I'm not going to tell you who, but if you've been following me on social media, you already know. So, that being said, why don't you go ahead and take the time to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, pretty much everywhere you can think of at XV Planus. We're pretty much universal all the way around. And uh, yeah, hope it's going well for you. Y'all ready to get weird? Good, because I got my cherry pie here and I got a cup of coffee. Damn fine coffee. Hello, yeah, I'm Floyd. Yeah, me and me, Smith. Welcome to Stewing Geeks. And XV1S. Now, let's rock. Welcome to XV1S. Fiends, lovers of strange and wondrous things. Welcome back to XV Planus. I am Flood, and with me tonight again is Beth, and here we are for part two of, you know, I was going to start calling this a multi-part series, but let's just call it an ongoing series of the insanity deep dive into all high strangeness and weird things of Twin Peaks. Beth, thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks for inviting me back. I'm kind of surprised you did. <laughs> but I'm glad to be here. Oh, come on. Nobody else is going to nobody else is going to peel back the layers of not only the show, but the literature uh, that goes along with this, which is actually kind of going to play a more important part tonight. Yeah. Um, the further we go into this, uh, we're, we're going to discover a lot more, not only through the multimedia experience of Twin Peaks, but also through our own sleepless nights mm -hmm. watching this fucking show over and over and <laughs> over again how many times have you watched the whole series at this point i can't count over 50 at least over 50 i think you definitely have me beat but i do think i'm 25 minimum but that doesn't count me going back and watching certain episodes over and over and over oh, yeah, and yeah. over again 
So the last time uh, we talked about this, it was just kind of a general overview about what we were going to be doing with this series and how we're going to start peeling it back. And uh, friends and fiends and all of you out there listening, as this progresses, it is going to get deeper and it is going to get uh, more intense. And we are going to and we're intense like a circus. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, man. I have to uh, laugh at all your bad jokes, too, right? Yes. Okay. You have to. to be invited yeah. back, I of must. Of course. <laughs> That's why you were invited back. You can put up with my terrible fucking sense of humor. Um, but to be fair, David Lynch himself has a whole lot of, like, really, really <laughs> shitty <laughs> moments of humor that are still uproariously funny. Now, before we get started tonight, though, I do want to take uh, a moment to... Give a graceful farewell to a member of one of David Lynch's alumni. Uh, we lost Dean Stockwell today. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So he only uh, appeared in um, Blue Velvet, uh -huh. but uh, most of you would know him as Sam from Quantum Leap. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We lost him. But 85 years old, he had a great life. He had so many great roles over the years. But uh, cheers to you, Dean, wherever you might be. Hopefully, you're in the Black Lodge hanging out with some weirdos. <laughs> um, so tonight we're gonna we're gonna start peeling back the layers a little bit more, um, knowing that we're obviously gonna be doing way more direct deep dives as these episodes uh, progress. So what are we what are we kicking off with tonight, Beth? Oh, so many things. Uh, so we're going to dive into the themes and there's a ton of them. And you and I did our homework and tried to uh, to piece them all together. So we're going to dive into a little bit of the occult, the religion, the aliens, a little, little dash of aliens. Just a um, wee bit. We got some ritual. We got some trauma. We also are going to throw in a little multi-dimensions. How about mm. some obsessions and addictions too, just to, just to round things out. Um, so I think that probably should take us through most of the night. Um, but if it doesn't, then let's also throw in some abductees and duality. Oh, I think we'll tackle it all. Um, uh, wait, you're telling me there's trauma in this show? <laughs> what? It's like it's a middle name. But, yeah. you know, actually, that's the funny thing about it is is the, the show started off as very soap opera-ish. Mm -hmm. And... You know, at, at a first glance, you think that it's kind of like this blanket story of anything that you would have, would have found on television at the time. But I guess that was a concept. Like, embrace what people are watching and then completely fucking flip that yeah, shit on its head. Smack him in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you comfortable yet? Good. Now let me traumatize Let me mess that up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got your little blankie all snuggled up on the couch. Yeah, I think, yeah. Oh, as a matter of fact, I, I was telling my uh, my mother the other night that, uh, that this was going to be an ongoing series on the podcast. And she's like, you know, I have never watched that. And my response was, don't. I love you, Mom. Please don't. Like it's it's just gonna ruin your fucking day. Because <laughs> she wants you to get all into the the sad. Oh, this is a nice love story. Look at this quaint little small town. What the fuck? That is exactly what would have gone down. Actually, she probably would have stuck with it through the entirety of the first season. Which, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know if you can really call it a first season. It was only seven, eight mm -hmm. episodes. Uh, but yeah, as soon as we started to get to what was really going on there? She would have, mm, yeah. Mm -mm. Checking out now. Would not have been good with that. 
I bet my mom would though. She like her favorite books are the ones that where they lock the women in the basement. Like she loves those kinds of books. I know the look you're giving me right now. I'll recommend a book to her, and she's like, "Well, is it like the one where they throw the girls in the basement and lock them there?" I'm like crickets chirping. Sorry, what? Okay, <laughs> so um, if I ever meet your mother, I'm gonna be sure to not go down to her basement. Good call. Because um, I got long hair, and if I shave, I look really pretty. So, you know. <laughs> Good call on that one. All right. So, uh, we we do have a lot to tackle here tonight, so I don't want to... Of course, we're going to wing this because this is meant to be entertaining, and it's it's going to be absolutely ridiculous, as is this fucking series that we're diving into. <laughs> Sorry, I'm chair dancing for him. <laughs> I, I really wish I could have had a video for that. That would have been hilarious. All right, so, um, shall we? Shall we dance? Yes, let's dance. All right. So there's a lot of things that we're going to tackle uh, on here, and I, I the the first division that we have on this concept is uh, occult religion, aliens, beliefs, and, and things like that. So let's. Let's talk a little bit about that. And uh, the first notation that you had on here was honoring the spirit of pure light entities. And this is something that, like, it really stands out as the series progresses. Um, you know, Laura is presented as this horribly tragic damaged character, which she actually is. But her origins, if you look at season three, have a very, very different route like they, they came from a different place it, it was not meant to be as tragic yeah yeah i think she was put out to be a balance um and you brought up the part about her angel that appears when she's in the train car in in her her death scene um that that reminds us well we don't yet know because we haven't been to we haven't revisited yet but that reminds us that that she is at her core a pure light being who was corrupted by the world that she was put into um and and i think that is something um that that lynch wanted to honor about her right we see her death from so many different angles um right and yeah. and that one in particular from firewalk with me where the angel does appear um I think that is is oh, his God, way of mentioned that Aww. scene. It gives me chills. Huh? But that's his way of saying, "Hey guys, remember this was a a pure light being who came into this world to balance the energy of Bob, fought valiantly against him, and so she's deserving of this um, this status of being an angel." So was she was she corrupted by Bob, the world around her, or a combination of both? Do you think? Hmm. Uh, I think she dabbled in the, the, the dark in, you know, when she was alive. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know that that was what corrupted her necessarily. I think from, you know, because of the young age when, when Bob's did start to come and obviously very negatively affected her life. Um, you know, in those really impressionable years, I think she said she was 12. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that is like the start. Like that's when puberty happens. That's when you're coming into your own. There's so many changes that happen in a person's body, especially a woman. Um, that's when you are starting to identify with who you actually are going to become as an adult. Right. You're this frolicky, free loving kid until you're about 12. And, and puberty is what sort of kicks off that. Okay. I'm going to now form into to the adult that I'm going to be. So because he started coming to her at that young age, I think it sort of knocked her off that that path, obviously, of, of becoming who she potentially could have been if he wasn't there. Um, but yeah, that, Which that's my very much makes it. sense in the same way with Leland. Yeah, you know, but because well, like as the series progresses, you come to find out that um, Leland's first interaction with Bob, I think, was at the same age, uh, roughly somewhere between ten and twelve. Yeah, he always says, when I was a little boy, he, the the man That's who right. lived at the he Robertson house actually... used to light matches and flick them at me. But he just says, when I was a young boy, I don't think he gave us an age. That whole scene was incredibly unsettling. Mm-hmm. And I have never seen anybody be able to nail a target with a fucking match from that far away. That's super. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say nail a performance because that too, if we can just appreciate it. Oh, no, absolutely. Oh Ray gosh. Wise is absolutely phenomenal in that series. It, he blows my mind. And the um, the fact that he played like a multitude of characters folded into one, mm-hmm. seriously, I, that, that guy is horribly underappreciated in, in American cinema, really. And I understand that he's often referred to as a character actor, but he's so much more than that. Like he, man, that's a whole lot of layers like an onion, as Shrek would say, I guess. (laughs) Now we're quoting Shrek. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I swear to God, that's going to be the last time I ever do that. No. I am not bringing Where's my safe word? Do I have a safe word? (laughs) Um... Potato? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We've gone down that path. Uh, Okay, so, and and we'd also talked about, um, you know, when did she divert into to the dark activities right was it upon birth or when, when bob started coming to her like the the drugs the sex the big piece for me was manipulating men she knew how to do it mm-hmm. and to do, as like she's an artist at it um there were every man in her life would get this sort of hypno- hypnotic look on his face when he talked about her and so she had this power over men which i you know that's one of the themes that I, I talked about with you early on is David's, uh, sorry, uh, Lynch's depictions of women throughout this series. And for her, he was showing what a powerful woman could do versus a Shelley or any of these other women who didn't do anything to defend themselves, right? They were just sort of victims. Yeah. Laura was a victim in in a very tiny way. But that was balanced with her ability to um, almost hypnotize men. Like the way that Bob hypnotized and took over his victims. She was doing that in a way with men, in a manipulative way, sexually. So she was was a victim in a very, very small and personal sense. Not small. I mean, a very big event. But in the grand scope of things, she kept it small and very personal. And instead of succumbing to that, she actually flipped it and put all of that negative energy outward. Yep. And and yes, that's exactly what we see. We see her 
manipulating men and uh, bending them to her will and um but what about James that seemed to be like the one person that she couldn't go like all the way into full on manipulation with oh I, th- I think she hypnotized poor James oh no 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 de- definitely don't get me wrong but I, I don't think just just thinking about some of the scenes that they had together, I don't think she was willing to bring herself to uh like full blown sociopathic mm-hmm. um tendencies with him because there was a true innocence and, and love with James that uh she was terrified to explore, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, that scene when she jumps off the motorcycle and she just grabs she's just so sweet. Like she was so angry. Yes. (laughs) But she was like so angry about his sweetness. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Slaps him and like, yeah, yeah. But I it maybe that's it. Like I can't do the things that I want to do to you because you are so sweet and I've never encountered a human being like you. Because I want to hurt other people. I don't want to hurt you. Interesting. Yeah. Just thought of that one, by the way. Yeah, no, we both came to that revelation right now. We've been talking about this shit for weeks, and as we go on through this, we are all going to have a whole lot of holy shit moments. Epiphanies. (laughs) Epiphany Central here. So that's uh, that's definitely something we're going to be diving back into further Mm -hmm. as we we do a deeper dive into Laura herself, her actions, the way that she was reacting to the trauma that was being pressed upon her, and... um, the repercussions of her reactions to it as it goes forward. Now, the next one that you brought up and I absolutely, (laughs) I am probably going to go on a Henry Zabrowski level rant here. Josie's death. What the fuck was that all about? Seriously? Like I, uh, and I'm going to go on my tangent because Here's the whole spiel that I gave you over the phone not too long ago. Was like, she, she, she gets, she gets faded out, gets trapped in a fucking knob of wood on a drawer. Wood, wood, the woods. There's something in the woods. Is this a reaction of the spirits of the woods because the Twin Peaks logging company is tearing all of the woods down? Is she being punished for her transgressions because she is now the owner of the log company? I. I lost sleep over that one. <laughs> Whenever I threw that one out to you, like I was up pretty much the entirety of that night watching that last episode and and like what the the fuck is going on here? Because we never get closure to Josie's story. All we get is her moment of terror and pain, which is very important as we go later and we start talking about Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, why was she banished to a fucking knob? <laughs> Admittedly, that is one of the most ridiculous moments in Twin Peaks lore, but still pretty fucking fascinating. Like, there's got to be a reason for that. And the only reason that I can think is, you know, uh, the Bookhouse Boys and, and, Hawk and and everybody who's lived there forever has always said that there is something in those mm-hmm, woods. Mm-hmm. Is it the woods themselves taking retribution? 
Well, and by her being in that knob, she can still see, right? So I think uh, going along with your theme of this is punishment from the woods, that she is still forced to see the world she's no longer able to participate in. Right, she's no longer a three-dimensional object within all the characters, but she is like she can see, right? Like almost like a fishbowl, uh, what's going on around her. So I think that's part of the, the the punishment is that she has to see the world she can no longer participate in. Pure hell. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> but. Um... And did she deserve a better death? I don't think so. Uh no, no, she did not deserve a better death, but we as viewers <laughs> deserve better closure for ourselves. Yes. That's it. That's, that's, that's the only thing I'm going to say. That's so, true. David, if by any chance you're out there listening, just please call me and tell me what was really fucking going on there. Because please. we're going to end up racking. Even if we solve every little piece of your puzzle throughout this whole thing, that's the one thing that I got nothing on. Mm-hmm. You know? But I like your theory a lot, um, and I'm very curious to hear what uh, what people have to say about this too. Have you given them a way to communicate and ask questions and share their thoughts on what we what we're? Yes, uh, as we were theories? recording this, I have still not posted the first episode because I am backlog like a motherfucker, as we all know. Uh, but yes, there will be uh, a way for anyone to contact us and and uh, throw questions out, or uh, if you have any theories yourselves, yes. dear listeners, like. Bring them on. We want to hear them. Absolutely. Um, I mean, if you hit it really hard, hell, I'll drag you on the show to talk about it. So That's a threat. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is, because once you start doing a deep dive into this fucking show, your life is over. I have no social life anymore. It just... Liar, at, you were just at my party this past weekend. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's true. That's true. Uh, but I was also sitting in the back of your lawn, rocking back and forth, thinking about fucking Twin Peaks all night. So... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. That's debatable. I won't apologize for that. But yeah, the uh, the woods playing a larger part in Josie's death is something that I I'm gonna have to do some more research on, and we both will, and do a little bit of a deeper dive because there's something there. Mm-hmm. There is uh, a level of symbolism and folklore there that I I think I'm missing, or I just don't know the right connection to. Um, so you better believe that I have. I have so many notebooks around here, and one of them is, like, chock full of nothing but Twin Peaks stuff. So, we will solve that mystery. Even if I have to, I don't know, pay five grand to get Joan Chan to come on for five minutes to talk about it. <laughs> she oh. doesn't even know. That's like, <laughs> how much do you think the actors really understood about what they were doing? I, th- I think... <clears throat> I think... I think Kyle McLaughlin probably knew way more than anybody else. I think Hawk, Michael Horse, knew more than a lot of people. And I think... Who's the guy who played uh, Gordon Cole? Oh, yeah, fucking David Lynch. He knows. (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) But I can't imagine many of the others really did at the time. Or... Are they plunged into the same <laughs> can't get out of it uh, quicksand that we are, where once you are steeped in it, you really, it, like, it changes you. It really does. So yeah, I'm yeah. wondering um, if 
if they because they were doing the comic cons like they were you know they were out and about talking about the show years later too so i'm wondering how much they actually really understood about his this universe that he created or were they just going in doing their part moving on <coughs> excuse me <coughs> Yep, thank you. Uh, um, true. And I am really, really disappointed that by the time that we are starting this, they have stopped doing the Twin Peaks Festival. Mm. Yeah, they got sued. What? Yeah. Who got sued by... What? Uh, well... Not necessarily sued, but David Lynch and his whole production company laid down a season desist whenever they started rolling out season three. So the oh, Twin Peaks man. Festival does not exist anymore. I'm sure it's going to re-evolve as something else. Uh, underground, but, man. Let's do it underground. <laughs> yeah, but they can't do it. Like, like that, that was a great thing about the Twin Peaks Fest is they would get former cast members to come and be a part mm. of it. And they would descend on the town where Twin Peaks was filmed. They would go to the place where the Double R Diner yeah. was. And, yeah, they, they just pulled the plug on it. Yeah. But moving, uh, moving on from um, from Joan Chen's character, Josie, uh, Bob. And this is something that we referenced just a little bit earlier is, like, who can see Bob? Well, we had a little list here, and I'm sure there, there's others, but the way he's described is the gifted and the damned. So Mike, the one-armed man, describes those who can see Bob as that. They are the gifted and they are the damned. And so we know Sarah Palmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously Laura, Maddie, Ronette, Cooper, Annie, Wyndham, and Leland. And, and Josie. And uh, Josie. At her end. At her end. That's right. That's right. Um, but those are the ones that uh, that are th- that come to mind for us, and I'm sure there are others. But thematically, those are the gift, quote unquote, the gifted and the damned. So starting with Sarah, oh poor Sarah, wow, poor tortured right? Sarah. Uh, she she gets a she gets a raw deal. Yeah. Um, and and a much more raw deal once you start to dive into the return. Yes. Um, which we will discuss at length later. We're not going to quite dig into that right now because the return is a whole different fucking animal in yes. itself uh, compared to the original series. So Sarah is, and correct me if I'm wrong, she only, no, actually she's drugged, right? So we see the white horse, which is thematic of heroin right so so leland is drugging her mm-hmm. um when he's and, and we only see that a couple of times so i don't know if he actually drugged her when laura was young as well when he was gonna become bob i think it's very much implied yeah mm-hmm. yeah so does she only see bob actually no she is uh she's sober when she sees bob mm-hmm. yeah um so is he drugging her so she can't see that leland turns into bob well, I are you, if you're talking about the, like the metaphysical aspect of that, I don't think that uh, when when Bob takes Leland over, I don't think anyone can see that unless you are, as we said, the gifted or the damned. Mm-hmm. So, 
I don't know, maybe it actually took... Maybe it actually took the, the tragedy of Laura being lost, or, or being murdered, for her to become damned. For Sarah to become damned? Yeah, like, for, for her to really, like... Because Sarah's story, we already know, goes way, way, way back into, like, the roots of the history of the story. Um, but it seems like it wasn't until Laura's death that Sarah cracked. Mm -hmm. And that's when she started seeing things. Now, whether it was drug-induced or um, a spiritual moment or a hallucinogenic moment brought on by other energies, that... Hell, we're never going to know that mm -hmm. <laughs> until we have David Lynch sitting in this fucking room with us. <laughs> Open invite, by we're the gonna way. We're going to keep putting it out there, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every episode, P.S. Yeah. Hey, hey, Dave, come on stop over. Stop by. I'll make some coffee. I got a cherry pie in the freezer just waiting on you, buddy. Um, and I do. I have a cherry pie in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot share in that obsession. I just can't. Coffee all day long. Cherry pie? Nope. More for you. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm not fond of it. It's really just kind of there as like a ritualistic piece. <laughs> uh, but I would have made us a pot of coffee tonight if it wasn't for the fact that um, I broke my coffee pot. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Why are you not at the store right now? Replace? I, I can't even. I have no words for that. I can't Because I Amazon it. It'll be here tomorrow. There you go. There and you I go. honestly... As much as I work, I don't have time to make coffee mm. in the morning. I don't. Even if I set the uh, the timer, like, I'm still running out the door, like, pouring the shit into my cup and burning my arm as I'm trying to get to Ooh. my car. <sighs> I need to change careers. No. Yeah, I this, do. This I do. Is your, yeah, this is it. I know. I just, I want you to cook forever. Um, no. I'll, oh, I, off topic. And me. no, we're going to leave this on here. Ravioli party. We'll get to that <gasps> yes. Later. Yes. Pasta, yeah, yeah. It pasta is now cold roller. enough. We can do that. Mm -mm. All right. So, Sarah. Gifted and the Damned. Um, all of these characters are horribly and tragically twisted in one way or another. Um, you know, Sarah, for more reasons than we can mention right now, because we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, uh, Laura, for the obvious, you know, she was. Well, I mean, it's it's. It's not a spoiler. Like, let me stop this right now. If you have not watched Twin Peaks, you need to fucking stop listening to us right now. Go watch the series, then come back to us. Cheaters. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're trying to get ahead of yourself. You're going to ruin the surprise. You ready? Okay, now it's done. Laura was unfortunately horribly abused sexually by her father, who was being possessed by Bob. And so there is your damned. Um, but Laura was also gifted, if you go into the deeper context of the lore surrounding Twin Peaks, because she was put here to be a beacon of light, at least in my own personal interpretation. Um, and the the reality of the situation and, and the other energies that were brought into this world ended up breaking her down and corrupting her. But unfortunately, maybe it's her corruption and her death that may have actually led to the end of that tragedy mm -hmm. in a very, very much longer sense, which we will tackle as we move forward. Renette 
damned because of the trauma that she experienced by witnessing all of these atrocities that were happening around her. And in that moment of absolute terror and the moment of Laura's death, witnessed Bob herself. Well, I got a question for you about her, and this is an age-old question. So mm. <clears throat> she was a sex worker, right? By choice. Yeah. Run at. Yeah. So, right, there's there's the scene in um, Firewalk with me, right, where Leland approaches, the, and it's it's uh, Ron at and, um, uh, oh, my gosh. Who's the other one? The blonde. Laura. No. The one, the, the madam. Leland calls the madam. They're at the hotel. The oh, motel. Teresa Banks. Teresa Banks, thank yes. you. Um, right, so all of them have decided to manipulate men and make money by doing it, right? So is that is her being a witness to Laura's murder, sort of her comeuppance for choosing that as a as a career? Just a thought. I'm not sure about that, but. but- that actually does raise an interesting question on, on the flip side of that is those are, are three women who witnessed Leland for who and what he really is on various levels, of course. Why was Renette the only one who lived? Why didn't he kill Renette? Mm. I've never been able to fully wrap my head around that. Like, why and how did she get away? Well, I mean, I guess we we know the how because... Yeah. Fucking Leland, Leland just left. Yeah. Dragged the body of Laura out, threw her in uh, plastic, and sent her down the river. But why leave Renette behind? Do you think he wanted a witness to tell the story? Sort of braggable? Was that possibly Leland trying to fight through the persona of Bob and leave a breadcrumb trail? Mm, I like that theory. Huh. See? <laughs> Epiphanies. <sighs> full of them full of them folks we're gonna be doing this like five years from now i like i <laughs> so much i know i know it's it's ridiculous now um cooper we already know that he is gifted uh he's incredibly intelligent he's uh very in tune with the world around him he sees and understands and feels more than most do uh so it's pretty obvious why he's going to be able to witness it annie mm. Annie literally just literally got dragged into the shit, dragged into the Black Lodge. And she's never going to be the same after that. Well, and you go to her, the the little bit that we know about her, right? So she attempts suicide. She goes into the nunnery. She decides to to go back out into the world. Do you think that her... forgot the suicide attempt. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that she experiences the horrible end that she does, although she says she's fine. Um, How's Annie? I'm fine. How's Annie? Once a year, every year wakes up and says, I'm fine. Which is... On the anniversary. Yeah, which is really fucking creepy. And that is taken from the book. Yes. Um, And which... Which one was it? Correct me. I'm, it's the it was the final history. dossier. I the believe. final dossier. Yeah. yeah, there's a tiny little chapter on on Annie. Yeah, the final dossier. Twin Peaks. She wakes up once a year on the and on the anniversary of when she came out of the Black Lodge, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just says, "I'm fine." It's catatonic, otherwise. Um, so, th- but going back to her, is it because she made that attempt on her life that that's what is attractive 
to Bob about her, right? So he's attracted to, to pain and to fear. And that goes, there's a whole other section in that book related to this. But he's attracted to the fear, that, right? That's also why he shows up during Josie's death. So does he get attached to Annie and want to interact with her because she crossed over in some way? Or had a traumatic experience or a painful experience, and he's attracted to that. I think Annie's situation has less to do with Bob in the Black Lodge and more to do with Wyndham and and the trauma that he put her through. And uh, of course, because of that, she is now directly linked to the Black Lodge or you know the space in between, whatever the hell you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um. So, no, I don't really. Huh. God damn it. Mm-hmm. You're welcome for the rabbit hole. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> ah! This is. Ah. Make no apologies for planting seeds. We're going to be in our 60s doing this shit. Still trying Fighting to figure about the fucking theories. shit out. Uh, Wait, I no, had a dream but... last night and that fine (laughs) stop asking i'm fucking fine no but it's uh yeah like so so damned for the case of trying to take her own life if Mm -hmm. we're we're gonna look at the grandiose Mm -hmm. sense of spirituality um and that definitely opens her up to it and maybe that's why the outside influences even after she's returned are still sinking their hooks into her Mm -hmm. like she can't get out of the loop that she's in because part of her is probably still in there. Yeah. Like still in the black lodge, which brings us to one of my favorite cinematic villains of all time. Wyndham fucking Earl. This guy is a true piece of shit, but he is almost, almost as good as actually, no, you know what? Better than Dennis Hopper's Frank and Blue Velvet. I, I know. Bold statement. Bold statement. But the, animal Lecter. I'm like, they're sort of on par. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Hannibal Lecter is all about, like, the flesh and blood. This guy wants to tear the universe apart, and yeah. that's what gets really yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, Wyndham Earl, um, I guess you would put him into the damned side of that category because uh unfortunately uh he was wronged by cooper and this actually sent him over the edge uh during a time that he was already researching all of this high strangeness that keeps getting referenced you know something i never picked up on and and i don't know if you picked up uh up on it on either of the books but was Earl part of Blue Book as yep. well? Yes. He was. Right. There's that tape. Yeah, remember the tape of him where he's starting to uncover what's going on, right? There's a, a, oh, a loop. Yes. Right. Yeah, yep. yeah. yeah. So yeah. Coop sees it, right? They bring it into the sheriff's office and they watch it. It's him starting to lose his mind, like, wait a minute. Yeah. And the, the book doesn't go into that, but there is that scene where you can watch him. That's right. Yeah. Lose so, his mind. So, so, yes. He was in part of uh, Project Blue Book as well, which we will tackle a little bit later here. He was in the Blue Rose. Blue Rose. <laughs> I'm gonna add all sorts of fun effects to that. Um, but yeah, okay. So, so he was. He was but, part of the Blue Rose Task Force. But it did he? 
He lost it after the affair came yeah. out, right? Correct? No, he was starting. Oh, um, oh, that's a good question. Homework. Okay, yeah. Homework. So uh, eventually at one point, Wyndham lost his shit. And we we don't know if it was before he found out about Cooper and Caroline's affair. Fuck. I think he was losing it during the the Blue Rose investigations. I think just yeah, starting to even start like slink your way into that mindset was probably enough to do a whole lot of damage mm-hmm. to him and it just spiraled out of control yep. after that. We will do a deeper dive into that and we'll get back to you. And then of course there is Leland, mm-hmm. uh which is probably one of the most tragic characters in the entire series. That poor fucking guy. Um, to come to the realization that you have done what you've done to the people that you love and to watch, how did he put it? Um, I'm going to pull that cord and watch him go. It's (sighs) so awful. Cause you, and so you talk about duality, you have this. Oh, mares eat oats and dozy oats and little lambs eat ivy, right? You've got that guy, show tunes guy, (laughs) show tunes guy, happy father of the year, you know, everybody's favorite lawyer. Everybody loves him. Come on, get happy. That whole scene is just, oh. oh. Then he starts crying and falling on the floor. It is, it's terrible. Um, It is one of the most uncomfortable scenes. Like, when when, when he starts doing, oh. Not with that guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. When he has a Hayward's over and they start diving into that, that whole sequence made me sick. Like, like, not, you know, ill or anything, but like, it, it, shook me to my core in a way that I have never seen in a uh, mm-hmm. show. And this is the brilliance of Twin Peaks is uh, balancing this perfect Mayberry existence. Now let's peel back the layers and see what's underneath. And this is what we we deal with in this Twin Peaks. What we, what we keep coming back for. And it is why we keep coming back because we're gluttons for punishment. Pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, so like if, if he had never, you know, I always like to think about that. You know, what would have happened if he had never encountered Bob? Right, if Bob didn't exist in the world, but the beauty of the world, and you, you have it here in, in your red room, it's it's duality, right? So light doesn't exist without dark. Um, so did he shine that bright because there was this dark entity that would take, like, did that make his light shine brighter because the darker Bob got and the more evil Bob got, did Leland get brighter and shinier because of that? Okay, so so, and here we go thousand different rabbit holes as we go along. Uh, when it comes to Leland, was he gifted or damned? And what was his trauma that that opened up that door? Because I can't remember anything from the series or the books that describe anything terrible that happened to him or anything truly monumental in his youth to invite bob in oh you're right yeah other than proximity right their their summer house up on the lake was was next to to the robertsons was next to bob but yeah bob is attracted to trauma and pain and fear garmon bozia 
Is it just because this kid's standing next to him that's, you know, this little light, innocent being, and he decides to try and scare it with the flicking of the matches and gets attracted to that, and that's who... I don't know. Like, there is nobody else in this show that Bob takes over like he does with Leland. So what was his door? Yeah, I don't know. Hey, Dave, come and have coffee with us. Tell us all about it. <laughs> All right, so we're we're definitely going to go back into that, and actually, like, I'm going to take a moment to make a quick note on that uh, because I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the why, trauma. Yeah, yeah, why Leland? Yeah, or or was it one of those multi-dimensional things where uh, beings with the ten thousand foot view knew exactly who was going to be going where and could kind of map things out? That might have something to do with it. Hmm. I've I've told you the whole 10,000-foot view thing, right? What, that we're living in a simulated universe? No. Uh, a dreamer? This was... I, I, I think I heard this uh, originally proposed in the film adaptation of The Mothman Prophecies, uh-huh. where this guy was trying to understand these entities that exist on a a different level of consciousness and understanding. Right. And this professor replies to him is, okay, so let's say you're a window washer in New York city and you're 40 floors up and you're cleaning the windows and you turn your head and mile and a half down the road, you can see a car crash happen right before your eyes. And you probably have the most instantaneous understanding and view of what's happening right there. Does that make you a god? No. It just means that you have a better vantage point to actually see mm-hmm. everything that's happening. So it's uh, it's kind of like trying to explain yourself to an ant, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not your god. I'm just, I'm just bigger. Uh, I have a, have a magnifying glass, though. Mm. No, I I was never one of those kids. I always felt that to be cruel. Um, but yeah, no. Let's. Uh, I I want to do a deeper dive into the concept of Leland, Leland, and why? Why Leland, and why was he so susceptible to it? Because you never hear anything about his past. You never hear anything about his family. You never hear anything about mm-hmm. his youth. Uh, anything traumatic happening to him, Bob just fucking shows up. Nope. I never picked up on that until tonight. Huh. Homework. Unless somebody else wants to chime in. Anyone? Decades Anyone? and decades of homework. <laughs> We're going to be doing this like fucking 20 years no. from now, still trying to figure it out. Long after Lynch is dead. Good thing you have comfortable chairs. Ah, uh, good thing I got a Ouija board. We'll just drag Dave into the fucking studio with us. Um. <laughs> Close that portal. <laughs> no. Never. All right. All right. So the uh, this this brings us on to uh, one of my favorite pieces of uh, symbolism that we're going to be tackling on this show. And this is going to be coming on a whole lot the further we get into it. And one of my favorite quotes from the entire show. The owls are not what they seem. It's me all <laughs> jittery even saying it out loud. I love the uh, the connection of owls to this show. 
because that opens up so many doors for multi-layered storytelling as we dive further into mm-hmm. the series because everything in Twin Peaks is symbolism in motion or symbolism in art and and visual aesthetics to things that go way beyond your standard um, primetime television shit. Jesus Christ, it just gets bananas. So I'm just going to I'm going to ramble off what we actually have here mm-hmm. at the moment because I know that we're going to be coming back to this at least 5 6 7 8 9 10,000 fucking times. So owls have connections to spirituality and various occult beliefs. Native Americans, Druids, Celtics, many Asian cultures all believe that owls were links to other planes of existence and particularly the afterlife. In Greek and Roman mythology, owls were a favorite bird of night amongst the gods and goddesses, often acting as their eyes in our world, as well as being messengers. The English thought barn uh, barn owls were birds of doom, (laughs) while other owls were often uh, referenced or used and quite morbidly, I might add, I'll get to that a little bit later, in pagan-like traditions. Uh, In more recent times, owls have been often connected to experiences of alien encounters and abductions. So about that whole morbidity thing, I started to do a deep dive into uh, folklore regarding owls. And you know what? The English were fucking cruel. They did terrible things to owls, like literally nailing an owl while still alive to their door. In the hopes that it would ward off evil spirits. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, it's really messed up. I'll send you the link on the. No. <laughs> no. I, I know. Don't but send me that link. But on the, on the flip side of that, there was uh, the lighter, more holistic side in the sense that uh, people think that, uh, thought at the time that owl eggs um, could remove bad spirits and i'm sure that we've seen this show up in multiple different cultures where someone would grab an egg and you mm. you rub it over somebody's forehead or heart or abdomen or wherever the pain is and you crack the egg open and all of a sudden the yolk is black yes. <laughs> which i love it's 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 hysterical but draw the line at nailing owls to Ooh. doors man that's just messed up that's somebody who deserves a visit from bob just saying. Yes, absolutely. If you kill an owl, I hope Bob comes and uh, just takes you. I don't want him to do the other stuff that he does to other people. That's, uh, yeah. Too kind. <laughs> we, and there's a, a ton of, you know, I, I got to promote these books because I just think they're so fantastic. But um, you, you, there were a number of instances throughout the show, obviously, where owls come in. So you have them in the cave, in owl, literally owl cave. Um, you got them in the sycamore ring, in the woods. Um, Major Briggs, when he has his disappearance, when he and um, and Cooper camping together, mm-hmm. and there's a massive owl while uh, while Briggs is is on the throne. Um, but there's some uh, really great. Di- so uh, in the beginning of this book, this is the. Um, the Twin Peaks, uh, the secret history of Twin Peaks that came out a couple of years ago. Um, 
And in it, they're describing the early versions of the Owl Cave and the origins of the ring. Um, and and it does go into um, a little bit about the, the owls and the importance of them. But if you think about all the times that they showed up, and I know you and I were trying to sort of categorize like, okay, let's think about all the different times that we saw the owls and why it was important. Um, and I'm sure we've missed some, but oh, God, um, yeah. Absolutely. you've got Donna, James, and Maddie um seeing them in the woods the the night of Laura's death they appear um and you uh, you may not always see them but um it is it's a pretty consistent thing throughout this it's almost like it's punctuating important things you know like yeah. pay attention pay attention so are they guardians of the cave which ends up being the the gateway um and guardians of the sycamore ring which ends up being the gateway to the black lodge um are they the welcome committee are they are they warning don't come near here if you're not if you ain't ready for this shit don't come near that right that's how i think about it. it's like are they um are they welcoming those that should be there and scaring away those that shouldn't or maybe are not ready to enter that realm so I'm actually starting to wonder if if the owls are supposed to be a representation of, you know, as I, I mentioned earlier, like in Greek and Roman mythology, they were often considered to be like almost binoculars for the gods, mm. right? Like Is that what was going on? Is it the uh, the entities from the other places looking in on us? Ooh. Ooh. Right. Did you just come up with that? Yeah. Write that one down. That was a good one. It's it's on audio. It's saved forever. <laughs> I I gotta forget. I mean, outside of having to, you know, look to the left and the right to see you. Uh, yeah, I almost forget about uh, that. But I mean, especially like, it, you know, we already mentioned earlier that uh, the uh, symbolism of owls pertains to the the afterlife and mm-hmm. to uh, uh, traveler between worlds and wisdom too, right? I mean, though that's. Yeah, we we equate them with with so wisdom. So going back to what you were saying about the window cleaner and and you know the humans looking in on the ants, owls um, are have they a higher a, state of view. Yeah, so are they a higher state of being to us? And uh, we can't even speak the language. We can't even understand the words that they're saying because we're not evolved enough for it. Fuck! I'm gonna lose Another my one. life over this goddamn Another show. <laughs> mm-hmm, you're welcome. <laughs> You're gonna lose yours with me, so it's 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 all in the right place. I'm in. I'm all in. Oh, of course. You yeah, know, we live for this. But that uh, that also brings us to um, the owls being connected to UFO abductions yes. as well, uh, which is something. And and that's right. I'm putting my tin foil hat on, folks. Put it on with me. You got him. Finally, I mean, we're you like an hour into this. You're finally out? doing it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, in Deep UFO history and abduction research and and after decades and decades and decades of uh, cataloged incidents of UFO abductions and UFO interactions, you come to find out that animals often tend to play a part. And there's two reasons for that and one of which could be the fact that the human brain can't really wrap their brains around what they're seeing and mm. so you fill in the blanks with something that makes sense or there is the flip side of that coin that's right I'm going all mufon on you motherfuckers um 
that the whatever it is that is presenting itself to you has the ability to mask itself or mm-hmm. to disguise itself in different ways. But either way you go, um, owls and raccoons, fun side fact, but we're focusing on owls right now, tend to show up in UFO cases a lot. I mean, a lot of it has to do with like the big beady eyes and how powerful they are and I mean, if you look at an owl, you just get lost in those eyes. So you lose the definition of the rest of the face. Mm. You just get sucked into those giant peepers, which I love owls. And if anybody has an owl rescue out there in North Carolina, I will totally volunteer. Please let me go play with the owls. Kind of feel like we have that in our backyard. Don't need to rescue them. Cool. I'll grab a leather uh, leather glove and uh, come out there with a couple of strips of bacon see if they'll they'll come for it they are well that's my favorite whenever like they started about two months ago there's two or three that all hunt together oh really and you can hear them in different parts of the woods behind the house and it all it just makes my heart i love that sound i I know what they're doing like they're about to murder a you know defenseless little squirrel or something but just that there is something soothing about those noises there really is i I don't know if i've told you but we have owls go nuts off here like starting from 2 a.m. on, mm-hmm. they just go crazy. So I tend to leave my window cracked at night. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll wake up ever so briefly by him. Oh. And I just lay back down. But here, don't know. Well, and the, the, um, so the we talked about the fire walk with me poem too, right? One chant, one chance out between two worlds, and tying the owls to that, right? So is their song is that a form of chanting? The magician longs to see, <laughs> mm-hmm. see through the owls. Mm-hmm. So I like your binocular theory. I I think there's something to it because they 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 keep showing up throughout the entirety of of Twin Peaks lore, and it they seem to show up. As you said, almost like as markers. Mm-hmm. It's like this is an important moment. Fucking owl. Look. You know? Look. Mm-hmm. One chance out between two worlds. So the sound of the owl chanting between the two worlds. So going back to your binocular theory, right? That, that is, that's the way for those that are in the other, right? Because Lynch is, we haven't even gotten Lynch's theory of time yet, but doesn't even exist to him. Um so between the two worlds that the owl is the the means for those that are in another dimension to at least see through to Lynch's world. Right. Yeah. And who's the magician? Oh, it's Lynch, of course. Mm, okay. I we'll get to that later though. I have my <laughs> theories on that. Mm-hmm. But uh in the sense of the show You know, I don't know. Like as the series progresses, you gotta wonder is like this is is this a battle of of magicians? Because as a story progresses and it presents itself, you're looking at obviously two warring parties that do not exist on our same level of reality. And yet they're constantly fighting with each other, but they are so beyond our realm of understanding of what reality is. Mm-hmm. How can we even possibly understand their motives if they're not even fucking human? So black magic, white magic. Black magic and white magic is something that is constructed by humanity. Like, yes. But I mean, again, for, we can't use words that don't that we don't fully understand. So that's what we could relate it to, though, right? Right. 
magic is magic. It's it's all about the entity that's wielding it. Yeah. So Bob, I think we could safely say, would be wielding black magic, as would all those, all the entities around him, right? So I know we're not going to get into the third season, but when he is birthed, the mother, right? So she alongside him is probably birthing a whole cast of characters to go out and wreck the world with him. Oh, but- yeah. There were a whole lot of other bubbles in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You saw it, too. I Sorry know. I cheated. We just went into three. No, no, no. no, no. It's to. fine. We're, we're not deep diving into it mm-hmm. right now, though, and that's mm-hmm. fine. And, you know, again, if you're listening to this, we already know that you've seen this three or four fucking times anyway. So <laughs> We're not ruining anything for you. Um but yeah, I think the the uh, the magician, like the the white magic, white witch, black witch, whatever, um, that is just the language that we have in this realm right now. Um, if going back to your, is this a bunch of magicians battling each other? Again, it's the light, the dark, the yin, the yang. Like right? it is absolutely that's the whole purpose of this is is showing us the duality, right? Yeah. Don't ever get comfortable in one thing because it's not that one thing, right? It's seeing past. The illusion yeah. um, of small town, of pretty innocent girl, of, you know, father of the year, seeing past all that. And again, that's that's the whole purpose of this is, is to show us that, you know, what you what you perceive, um, you don't fully understand. Well, it kind of ties into that whole, um, oh, God, I can never remember the guy's name. <laughs> uh, Buckner Filmeister. I'm probably horribly wrong about that. Actually, I'm going to. Because I want to get this right. Okay. The magic of editing. (laughs) Come on, give it to me. What's the guy's name? What's it in relation to? Yeah, this is going to end up being uh, two episodes at least, right? (laughs) Oh, this? Yeah, we're in like the first paragraph, man. (laughs) Yeah. And this is fucking great, actually. It's it's, it's fantastic. Buckminster Fuller? Yes, thank you. But I don't know why I know that. Because I've probably said this to you like five or six fucking times at this point. Buckminster. Mm. Now you got me searching. Ah, okay. Now I got it. All right. So it it reminds me of since the earliest, uh, since the earlier uh, early twentieth century, uh, human beings have always thought that uh, what we can touch, smell, see, and hear grounds us in reality. But since the initial publication of the chart of the electromagnetic spectrum, humans have learned that what they can touch, smell, see, and hear is less than one millionth of reality. Mm-hmm. 
when it goes to like, what's the rest of our brain for, right? We use such a tiny little bit of our brain. And yes, some of it is running the sort of the back end stuff, necessary breathing, being parts, you know, those sorts of things. You know, the unimportant shit. The unimportant shit that keeps this motor running. But um, there is such a large percentage of our brain that is not, quote unquote, used. So it, I think it goes in, in line with, with his theory there, right? We don't fully understand. We don't speak the language yet. We don't understand the purpose of it. That's true. And, and that is the thing. It's like the, and this is why I love Twin Peaks so much is because the series does actually challenge your, your roots in reality and, and what does that mean? And the further of a deep dive you do into anything, you can go into physics, you can go into quantum physics, you can go into thermodynamics, you can go into spirituality, you can go into religious concepts. Like, it's all a piece of the same puzzle. None of us have any fucking clue how to put it all together. Mm. And that's why I love uh, Twin Peaks, is that Lynch actually does present those dilemmas, like those existential dilemmas mm. of what is real, um, uh, how does reality work, how do we fit into it, is what we call reality really reality, man. And what's time? Who needs time? Uh, <laughs> time is a man-made construct to make people like you and I slave our lives away to jobs that don't appreciate us. And what's the, what's this dimension thing? Like, what's the single dimension you think? You're, no, 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 no. There's the multiverse. Like, I, he was. Yep. I, nobody could see that. <laughs> I, I, but they heard it. All right. Yeah. So, so multidimensional, like um, Coop in uh, season three doing the whole, like, yes! walking through that little, yeah. that little box. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and being zipped into the, the, the socket. Again, dear listeners, I want to remind you, if you have not watched Twin Peaks, you, you need to fucking stop listening now. You need to go watch it and come back to us. Do your homework. But yeah, I'm trying to think of examples of, of multiverse in, in season one and two. I mean, Josie, her death, uh, she's in another dimension, clearly. Um, I don't think that really starts. I don't think they really start to peel into that until like midway through season two. Mm hmm. Yeah, when they start opening up a little bit more about the Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. There you go. We are on. Great. Um, so now let's get into the Hawk and Margaret. Um, I love their relationship that, that blooms over time. Um, but their connection to each other is, I see it as their ability to decipher information from another dimension. Which... I guess, in a sense, kind of goes back to that whole 10,000-foot yeah. view that I was talking about earlier. But um, elaborate on that. So the the whys for me, um, and we see it when uh, when Major Briggs comes back with his tattoo and, and Margaret shows hers. So she doesn't talk about it in the show. But oh, the, in, the triangle scarring yes. thing? Okay. Yeah. So I know, I call it a tattoo. Um, in the book, uh, the Twin Peaks Revisited, um, there is a little section on Margaret, thankfully, because I think we said in the previous episode, she's just one of our favorites. Um, log so, lady for life. Log, LLFL? LLFL. <laughs> t-shirt. T-shirt. Yes. Because you need a t-shirt. Um, so it says, one night in 1947, 
During a school outing, Margaret and two other classmates disappear overnight. They were found the next day, safe and sound, but not unchanged. She didn't speak of what she'd been through, none of them did, but she was quieter afterwards, in class and out. Not as playful, more watchful and internal. She wouldn't confide in me what she'd seen or heard out there, and we were quite good friends already, but I sensed she remembered more than she was willing to share. And um, in, in the book also, it goes into the, the tragic death of her husband and her connection to the woods and, and where the log actually came from. Um, it was one of the only trees to survive the fire that ended up killing her husband on their wedding day. And so the, the connection um, for, for Hawk and her, right, Hawk being uh, a member of the, the Nez Perce Indians, um, obviously him he's the one who pulls the map out right so he, he first shows it to them he's deciphering it for mm-hmm. um for for coop and i think andy was there as well um but they like when margaret is telling hawk things she doesn't even have to finish the sentence he's like i i get i got you girl mm-hmm. I, I understand exactly what you're saying so um the the ability for hawk to decipher what is in that map and to understand Owl Cave and all those other things, and Margaret's um, ability to to communicate with a log, um, who's telling, giving her messages from another dimension. Uh, which you know, come to think of it, regarding what I said earlier about uh, Josie's death, kind of ties back into the forest itself being a living and communicating thing. Holy shit! There we go again. And it's the equalizer. Ah, you either respect it. <laughs> it'll rip you to shore. right the sycamore tree like all of that that's all woods themed um the power the the fire that happened on the river back in the day that destroyed the town of twin peaks right one of the logs caught fire that they jammed into the river um so it's like oh, the woods are a right. whole other character um that could be looked at as both um protective and also very very dark right the 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 woods they don't call it evil what do they say the woods are there's uh, something in those woods. There, um, something ancient. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, actually, no, 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 no. Because I, if I remember correctly, I'm gonna have to go back and and watch this again. So, please, <laughs> no hate email. I'm gonna go back and recorrect myself on the next episode if I'm wrong about this. But if I remember correctly, whenever they had the first whenever Coop was first brought to the first meeting of the bookhouse boys, mm-hmm. there is something evil in those woods. Mm-hmm. I think that was said, but I need to double check on that. No hate mail, just fucking wait, please. He's a human, all right? Yes. Fallible. <laughs> um, it works seventy hours a fucking week, please give me a break. But yeah, I think that there there's something to that again as a, a, the woods looking at it as another character or group of characters that is interacting with the people of the town. Right. In either a good way or a bad way, depending on how you treat the woods. Hmm. Okay. It gives you presence or it gives you pain, right? For for Margaret and for Hawk, they get messages, right? So they... For Josie, you get pain? You get pain. Retribution. That is cause and effect right there for, for Miss Josie. Um, huh. 
and and same for Ben Horn, right? Who also seeks to to do the woods harm, literally like chopping it down. <laughs> that is very true. And uh, during the course of the second season, whenever he has his change of heart and he switches, he's like, "No ghost wood. I want nothing to do with it. Yep. Let's let's remove ourselves from that." Yep. And he has a mental breakdown. Like his daughter, had, you know, her. There's that whole Audrey thing. Uh, wife hates him. Daughter doesn't know he exists as, as a father, right? So, oh, Donna, the Donna thing. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which uh, unfortunately was never touched back upon again. Um, I'm really disappointed about that. Um, Doc okay, was her father. I'm sorry, doesn't matter who the, the donor was. I do love that point that, like, yes, I, I am your father, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I thought that was that was beautiful, and it, it just it. It speaks so much to Doc Hayward's candor and his humanity and who he really is as a human being. It's mm-hmm. one of the very few truly pure souls in the entirety of the town of Twin Peaks. Yeah, like Doc true. Haywood is pure gold that's and true. pure kindness. And I love that about him. Um, speaking of receiving communications from another dimension, there's also Coop's Tibet experiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so quirky. So quirky. Uh, which is definitely going to end up being a promo video for you and I. <laughs> it's just <laughs> throwing, throwing us rocks. throwing stones at a fucking bottle. Yes, okay. that's that's going to happen. I'm down with that. I'm down. <laughs> we got to ha- have to ask it a big question though. Um, yeah. So so the Tibetan method. You know, Coop will we his- get Michael Horse on this show? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah. For all the actors, we'll have a rock for each of them. Um, Ooh. So Coop and, and and the whole what's adorable about it is everybody I think in the beginning is like what the fuck are we doing here, and then they all just because it's Coop they just trust him, right? Yeah. They just it, like intuitively trust this this man. Although each and every one of them were still staring at him with a uh, uh, one raised eyebrow as he's doing this, like what the fuck is this guy doing? Mm-hmm. But it works. Mm. Um, it, right, because he's he's the uh, he's the conductor of it, and it, it it all amounts to faith, right? So the whole receiving communication, being open to it. Um, I was actually speaking about this with somebody this week. Somebody was very open to uh, receiving and experiencing things where I am not. Um, things meaning other dimensional beings. I'm just not into that. I, I have no interest. I will watch somebody else and observe, but I have no interest. You know who I'm talking about. You're talking about me? He is a, no, no, no. <laughs> um, uh, the other one who was the, the magnet. So um, That's the both of us, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you either... Um, are wholeheartedly faithful in this entity that is giving you information and you're open to it and you want to receive it, which all the people that we're going to talk about are, yeah. or you're not. Yeah, yeah. And that that's a critical factor in receiving this information is trusting in it and having faith in it. So uh, Cooper did, right? He did in the Tibetan experience um, and then also in his dreams, right? He trusted that fireman. He trusted the messages that he was getting. He'd wake up and he'd do the Diane message. Um, mm-hmm. He trusted. And I think because he knew, um, you know, part of this is me. It's my subconscious being connected to the bigger machine that's greater than my brain is, the infinite universe. Um, and it was the same with with Margaret. It was the same with Hawk. Um you know, in a darker sense, Wyndham as well. He trusted the messages that he was getting too, and get in the guidance. He he trusted the messages, but he also had a very very 
a very very specific um direction that he was going like he he knew that he wanted to reach out to these things and connect with them but he had selfish and nefarious purposes for doing so as opposed to coop being the innocent boy scout like he was willing to put himself out there into that in order to pick up on more and hope it would guide him here in the present whereas Wyndham wanted to completely dissolve into it yeah like he wanted to, to be a part yes exactly he wanted to be bob yeah he was like a wannabe <laughs> A wannabe Bob. <laughs> and I let me in that club? <laughs> which makes his fate all that more yeah. sweet when it happens. <laughs> yeah, it, and that, again, that's the, that's the duality of it. You can have faith um, in either the, the darkness of it or the lightness of it. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, Philip Jeffries, right? So his poor guy's stuck in a freaking teapot. Um but he also oh, is able God. to move between dimensions, right? So there's a, a a great chapter in the book that breaks him down too. That scene in the FBI office when he comes in, he is at that hotel in Buenos Aires mm-hmm. moments before. Like the the people in the hotel remember seeing him moments before he is quote unquote in the op- at the FBI offices in Philadelphia. How's he able to do that? Um, because it's interdimensional travel, of course, right? That that's a logical answer. Um, but he is communicating. Uh, later on through teapots and odd things. So the what? thing I can't remember from from the books, do we uh, – because it's been so long since I've, I've read those and I need to go – I'm, I'm going to have to reclaim that one uh, tonight. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> do we get any indication on Philip Jeffrey's experience between Buenos Aires and – the FBI offices. Do no. we have any indication of what happened to him in between that lapse in time? No, but there is the um, Judy's name scratched in the hotel room. Like with a knife, he scratched Judy's name into the wall. Now, was it Judy or Jaude? Jaude. It was? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's where it was. Carved, not written, deeply and hurriedly with what appears to have been a pocket knife. Next to the phone, as if he'd heard something on a call and had to carve it right there on the wall, not with a pen or a pencil, but a knife. Why would someone do that? Because this information upset him? Because it affected him to such a degree that only a weapon could express the depth and intensity of whatever he was feeling at the time. So we do get this little sliver um, of this was in... uh, who. Um, and that's in the final dossier, yes. right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, carved the wall from near the phone beneath a layer of new wallpaper that was added in 1997. It appeared to be the same name, but the spelling was different. Jow Day. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into the, the Judy. But yeah, we get nothing. We get like a half a page on Philip Jeffries in this book. And that's that's all we get, of course, because we're not going to. Fuck you, Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> um so he has has mastered the art of the interdimensional travel and communication, right? He's not even in a full physical form and is still able to communicate people with people in the Twin Peaks dimension, I'll call it. Um, and then um, Annie, too, right? So she appears in Laura's bed. Right. Right. Yeah. So Annie, Write it so in I, your diary. Yeah. So how the hell did Annie figure out this? Was she given a little bit of gift, right? So for all the torture she went through, did somebody teach her? I don't think you can just do this. 
Well, no, no, I, I think, I think this starts to slip into something that you brought up, and uh, obviously we were, we're gonna have to tackle on in a later episode, is the concept of time mm. in Twin Peaks, and you know, again, the more you and I start digging into this shit, we start to realize it, and we're just at the tip of the fucking iceberg. But um, time. Time travel, time slippage, uh, the lack of the understanding of time or the understanding if you want to go way off into weird astrophysics and string theory shit is that everything is happening simultaneously. Was that, was that a transmission from the Black Lodge? By the way, we're transmitting from the Black Lodge. Um, or was that a, a slip in time? Was that a moment where Annie's consciousness was able to line up? Because it was in a dream. Was it? Uh, was it a matter of uh, Annie's consciousness lining up with Laura's subconsciousness as mm. she's sleeping? Fuck! God damn it! This is never gonna end. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Another one, just little bombs. <laughs> little knowledge bombs. Well, again, it's, there's so many threads to pull on this. Um, but, yeah, I guess that that could be the case, that that um, there was this, this synchronous moment um, where – because a lot of things happen in in Laura's bedroom, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and her getting – like, who does a line of yay before they go to sleep, by the way? Like, that's just the weirdest thing ever. Can we just a line of what? Oh, yay! Sorry. Oh, yeah. my time in Florida. Um, <laughs> who does bumps before bed? Uh, <laughs> you know, if you want to sleep, that's the last thing you want to do. See, that's how you know she should have been on fucking Ritalin the whole time. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, Annie coming to her, and that's the other thing too. In the lodge, you have both allies and mischief makers. Right. So they pulled Annie in. Uh, the lodge pulls Annie in, and what has changed about her? What what's because you don't go into the lodge, you don't come out of the lodge the same person you went in as, right? So she comes out, she is catatonic. So, and is she a doppelganger? Is the real Annie still in there? And is the real Annie the one communicating with Laura versus the one who's catatonic? Uh, I, I think. I think Annie's consciousness is still in there. They just gave the body back. Boom. Shell. I Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. really do think that's what's going on there. Um, because, you know, if, if you go through the entire lore of Twin Peaks, it took the better part of damn near three decades, but Coop came back. The real Coop yeah. came back. I am the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> I think I cried too when he first did it. <laughs> I know, I know, and and that was the first time you got to see the thumbs up for the first time in fucking twenty five years, and it was fucking beautiful. It was amazing. It was it was fantastic. Oh god! All right, so so, should, all right. Well, you got one more item on here on the receiving communication. Should 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 we call it now though? And- I, I I think we should. Okay. All right. So we're on like an hour. <laughs> we d- 
By the way, for for people listening to this, this was a four-page outline that was supposed to only last an hour. And so now you understand how fucking deep this fucking rabbit hole goes. David Lynch, I simultaneously love you and hate you so much for the shit you put me through trying to figure shit out, but wouldn't give a minute of it up. This is amazing. And thank you so much for being a part of this because th- there's nobody else I could do a hardcore nerd dive into this other than you. Seriously. N- nobody else has watched this show as much as I have other than you, I don't think. so. It's, it's an illness. <laughs> it's, it, it's just it's fucking blasphemy. Out. No, no. This, this, is, this is home. This yeah. is where we feel good because we love Twin Peaks. And while she might not like cherry pie... Coffee is always good. Yes. <laughs> when I come here next time, that pot better be replaced. Oh, it will be. No, no, it's already ordered. It should be here tomorrow, actually. All right. So, so coffee then definitely next time. Next time, yes, sir. Absolutely. Don't ever call me sir. That just feels <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm a lot of things, but a sir ain't one of them. Um. All right. So yeah. Uh, that being said, as much as we want to keep diving into this, we're we're gonna. We're going to slow this roll. We're going to scale it back a bit. And um, thank you for joining us for episode two of Twin Geeks. Uh, as I said, this was going to be a multi-part series, but I am just going to tell you it's just going to be a fucking series until we are done with it. And when we get to the point that you and I can't talk about Twin Peaks anymore, we'll hang it up and then we'll start doing Carnival. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to be doing this until I have that night blindness thing where I can't drive at night anymore. <laughs> That's when I just bring the travel kit over and we, yeah, we, we, we keep we doing it. But thank you for making the trip tonight. Thank you for joining me, Beth. Uh, this is fucking awesome. And thank you. Thank you so much for taking the lead on doing the outline on this. Um, I know that we are both absolute fucking geeks, but you also know that I am completely batshit crazy chaotic. So, uh, I appreciate you wrangling me in, my friend. Organizational skills being put to good use. Yeah. I am great when it comes to um, uh, culinary work. Any other aspect of my life, total fucking chaos. But, you know, hey, that's what makes me fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty much it. So uh, at this point, um, given the way that the schedule is going, you can expect another episode in about two weeks after... When you hear this one, which, funnily enough, uh, the first one will come out two weeks after we have this fucking one because I'm so fucking backed up. But, hey, could be worse. It's a great problem to have. But, hey, I'm I'm taking a full-on break starting on December so we can do a deep dive into this. And um, I think the next time that we decide to do this here in the Black Lodge proper, uh, we should make a little bit more of a day out of it. And um, and just fucking plow through even more weird. Perfect. Keep it weird, my friend. I will see you then. All right. I want to thank all of you all for uh, joining us tonight and doing a deeper dive into Twin Peaks, which is a mutual obsession of both mine and Beth's. And you can guarantee that this will definitely come into fruition in some sort of format as this goes on. But if any of you all have watched this show, you understand, does order really matter? Really?
I don't know. Anyway, uh, just a few things before we wrap up tonight. I do want to say thank you again so much for coming and listening to this. I know this is a little bit of an offshoot from the typical paranormal and supernatural stuff that we do, but there is a reason that we're doing this, and it'll become a little bit more apparent as this series goes on. Now, until we get to that point, I do want to give you some updates about what to expect in the next couple of months. <clears throat> in the next couple of weeks, I will be wrapping up the Brown Mountain Light series. Uh, I have two more guests to interview in order to complete a full view of the experience that we had up there. And uh, the last guest is going to be a very special guest who's going to help me close out the series with discussions on... Uh, the history, the science, and also some conclusions about what in the hell is really going on up there, because nobody knows. That's the one thing that I can honestly say. Now, beyond that, I do want to say, please, if you're uh, active on social media, uh, please take the time to follow us. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, pretty much all places as xvplanis and you can also find us on twitch and youtube and there will be more content being uploaded to that here in the near future not quite yet though we got a lot of stuff to review from the sally house and then we also have the waverly hills sanatorium trip coming up so things will get a little crazy around here but only in the best of ways now, if you have a few minutes and you happen to use Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate it. We all would if you would take just a few minutes to head on over to the Apple Podcast page for XV Planus and rate and review us. And we do take constructive criticism, honestly. So if you have any pointers or things that you would like us to do or tackle, don't hesitate. You know, drop us a line. And that being said, feel free to drop us a line at xvplanus at gmail.com if you would like to potentially be a guest on the show to tell us about your personal stories. As this series progresses, I do want to talk to my audience a little bit more and experience some of the strange, or have you talk about some of the strange things you've experienced. Now, beyond that, I think that's pretty much all the updates for tonight. Um, here in the next week, you will catch part three of the Brown Mountain Light series. Shortly after that, we'll have the conclusions. And then there will be a very, very special series of interviews with very important people, or at least important to me because they are part of the XV Planus family now. And it'll be a good introduction for you to get to know them before we start tackling about what really happened at the Sally House. And that's going to do it, friends. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Keep it weird. Also appreciate your thumbs. And for those of you who know me personally, you know that's my mantra. I love you guys. Have a great night.